welcome back to Dev3 Podcast, a podcast about everything web development. We talk about how entry-level developers can get into the industry, code tooling, our coding journey interviews, and more. Today, we are interviewing Brian Daly. He is the founder and CTO of Stratazan. Stratazan provides a suite of tools to help healthcare organizations maximize growth. Brian was a huge help when uh, Isaac was learning to code. And he was super happy to talk to him today and have him share his thoughts on getting into the industry. Let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Ufizi. Ufizi is a DevOps SaaS that enables your organization to deliver software faster. Powered by your own Kubernetes infrastructure, Ufizi is a 10x better way to visualize and automate your deployments. It's easy with Ufizi. And um, Isaac is now joined with us. What's up, man? Glad to have you. <laughs> hey, sorry I'm late. My uh, my meeting ran over. It's all good, man. I uh, I didn't want to um, have Brian waiting too long while we're waiting on you. So we went ahead and got this started. Okay. Um, and I've never actually met him before, so this is exciting to, to start digging in. How are you doing, yeah. Brian? I'm doing great. I'm having a great day. I'm enjoying this Nashville weather. Yeah, Dude, it's it, uh, 90 degrees out today or something like that. It's a little warm, but, you know, yeah. it's breezy. It's not super humid. I'll take it. Yeah, it's a great pool day. It's a great day to just sit by the pool, get in, get out, and hang out. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, is your pool done, Sean? It's like 95% done. So nice. they have the pool guys coming and um, the contract signed by HOA. They, but they're not going to open it until Memorial Day weekend. So I got a couple more weekends. Well, yeah, let's jump right into it. What's up, Brian? Um, yeah, so uh, you are the CTO and founder of Stratazan. And I kind of wanted to just like talk to you about that, how you got there, you know, that, that kind of like your, your upbringing, I guess, in, in code and programming, sure. uh, how you got into it and, and, you know, just walk me through that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I got into programming early on. Uh, this was in the mid nineties, kind of revealing my age here. Um, I got into programming and got, actually got my first job as a developer at 17. So my career trajectory has been a lot different than a lot of entry level developers now who I'm seeing kind of going through, uh, boot camps like the folk one that you, you guys went through Nashville software school here in town and others. Oh, and a lot of self-taught mid-career transition type things. Um, I kind of got my start in programming. However, I was never formally educated in programming. I don't have a degree in computer science. I actually went to school for business while I uh, uh, worked for a company that did electronic medical records. So I actually slung Java code for four years for 10 bucks an hour. So that's, that's wild, uh, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, that is wild. <laughs> What's crazy though is like you, like I feel like back then it was more important to have a degree, you know. Yeah. So, and and like right now it's 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 less common I think for people to require a degree. Yes. But back then it was like that was like the end all be all of of getting a job it seems. So yeah, I mean, this was did you ever run into issues with that? Yeah, I did not. Um, this was a small shop that um, there was just myself and one other developer, so they were less concerned with that. Actually, the way that I got hired was. Uh, I met the guy that started the company at a martial arts class that I was in and I was in high school and he, and I was talking to him about programming and he goes, look, if you can take uh, Java and write me out an HTML file, I'll hire you. And so I actually brought him a Java uh, program on a three and a half inch floppy disk and said, here you go. 
And I was like, I cobbled this together from things I found on the internet. And he was like, yeah, that's basically how you program. So that you're on the right track. And wow. um, he hired me uh, at seven bucks an hour. And then later I got a raise to 10 bucks an hour. But for <laughs> me, bucks, as a 17 man. year old kid, that's <laughs> right. That's, you know, that's great. Yeah. I mean, um, who, who needs a degree when you, when you can just hire somebody for seven bucks an hour, right? Right, I mean, exactly. No, but he yeah. did me a favor. You know, I knew at the time I was like, I'm probably underpaid, but he gave me an opportunity to learn. Uh, it was a great situation for me because I worked for him part time as I did my college, got my college degree. And, um, I also got to see kind of the inner workings of what it was like to be an entrepreneur. And it really started me on the path of entrepreneurship because, um, frankly, when I was there, um, this guy, it wasn't the best at running a business. And and I was like, if this guy can run a business, I can probably run a business, too. And so it got me on the trajectory (laughs) of like, eventually, I want to start a company. Um, And so, uh, you know, I worked for him for a while. And then I did... um, uh, kind of went out on my own and did some consulting. I find that a great way for folks to get started because you get exposed to such a wide variety of things. Um, so I built like a, a management system for an appraisal company uh, in the town that I grew up in and they still use it. It's running PHP three and every now and then they ask me to do something and then I'll go like FTP to their server. And every time I do, I'm like, you should probably update this. <laughs> it's probably full of holes. Yeah. Um, but it's still running his, you know, company, so he's happy with it. Um, and then I uh, worked for a, a medical equipment company, um, and and this was PHP as well, kind of more mobile centric. It was early mobile. This was like 2004, um, where uh, they're connecting like medical equipment companies with doctors. Uh, and then from there, I went back into consulting for a while in New York. I lived in New York City for a while, and I got to do a lot of more like consumer facing stuff. Um, but what I was doing at the time was building prototypes for people in like startups because I was very interested in the startup space. So that, again, gave me a nice opportunity to, to like see a wide variety of technologies work along some really smart people. And and every time I got to work alongside, you know, people smarter than me, of which they're, you know, I, I consider myself a very mediocre developer. I would always be able to sit with them and just be like, what, what did you just do? How did you do that? And and learn about like, kind of the different ways that people learn and just a wide variety of ways to get things done. Um, I found my comfort, uh, most comfortable spot to be the, the command line. And so I spent a lot of time in, on like uh, just learning command line tools and uh, gave a few talks on, on that. They're still available online. I got involved in like local meetups. Y'all have talked a lot about like how instrumental that is. Yeah. Definitely is. And, and I would even encourage folks who are new to the development scene to not just reach out to other meetups that are developer centric, but maybe that are like entrepreneur centric because you can connect with folks who are looking for a developer, right. To do a thing. And they don't really have the budget for a real experienced Mm -hmm. person. They just need you to build a prototype so that they can take that to investors and like show a proof of concept and a junior developer who's done a capstone product uh, project for a bootcamp or something. That's a perfect way to like flex those skills and address a real need, a real problem you might yeah. not have to build a fully fleshed solution, but if you can just build something that that person can then take to an investor and say, look, I've built a proof of concept, they can get money and they go hire a team. And that team might be you if you choose to do that or it might not. Um, well, and that's kind of, how, go ahead. How often do you see that in, in national area? Um, so uh, my company came through the Entrepreneur Center. And okay. so there were a lot of business types there. Now, this was 10 years ago. We just celebrated our 10-year Congrats. Um, yeah, like two days ago. 
awesome. so this was quite some time ago. And I think the scene has probably gotten a lot bigger since then. But there were a lot of startup-y business types looking for help on a technical level. And they were constantly asking me because I would be the one showing up at the Entrepreneur Center. Uh, and, and they're like, how do we meet other technical people? You know, like how, wow. how do we connect with other uh, hackers, as they call it. I'm like, they're not really hackers, but okay, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I guess that's what they saw me as. Cause it is the nerds. So show me to the nerds. Yeah. Networking <laughs> with those business people is actually really valuable way to spend your time. Like yeah. they're, they, that's a, re- uh, that's a really good advice. I think like that, that's something that I didn't even think about. I think it was kind of scary, honestly, like, Oh, am I even like up to snuff for that? Yeah. You know? So, I, but it's interesting that like, yeah, that's a really good point about a, a lot of these startups just need a prototype. They just need right. a, an MVP, you know, so it could be a little bit crappy, you know, as long as mm-hmm. it kind of functions, then, exactly. then, you know, yeah, that gets them in the door for sure. That's yeah, awesome. so much yeah. of it is really just a crud app, right? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you know create, right. create, replace, update, delete. And uh, they just need somebody to help them with that. I did the same thing in New York. I got a ton of business as a consultant just showing up at like tech startup type stuff where there were a few other programmers. And so if you just consistently show up to those, eventually they come up to where they they define their problem. And when they think of like a technical person to help you out, you're the first person that comes to mind. And that's a great yeah. position to be in. It's a good way to yeah. like get some consulting stuff going. And they're generally able to pay because they'll have an an angel investor or something that's backing. So they're not asking you to do it for free. I wouldn't suggest doing anything for free. Um, but, yeah. you know, your rate might not be as, as high as a more experienced person. And so you can get that experience that that's way. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that is great advice, especially for entry-level developers that are having a hard time getting into the industry. What a great way to to further your experience you know what i mean and working alongside someone that actually needs your services if you can build out especially if you can build out a full stack application Mm -hmm. i know i know some developers they they really lean toward one side or the other they can do front end really well or back end really well um, but they can't build something like a crud out like full stack so i would encourage like if you are entry level developer uh dig into the one that you're uh, least favorite is right. Like if mm-hmm. you're really strong on front end, work on a little bit of some some tech in the back end to get that crud, the full stack engineering uh, ability strong. Yeah, yeah, that's something I talk about a lot with new hires, and I think uh, Isaac and I have even had this conversation over the years. Is uh, we look for T shaped developers, right? You have a wide range of like knowledge from the CSS and JavaScript all the way to like I can write SQL. You can't do that overnight. It takes time to accumulate that that shallow knowledge that's broad. And then you find that the D part, the T, that extends your knowledge into some area that you feel like you're most comfortable with. It can be the SQL side. You know, at Stratasane, yeah. we hire data engineers. That's just a programmer who's good at data stuff, right? And right, thinks right. about data architecture. They probably don't write any CSS. And then you have front-end developers who occasionally, that's their T, and then they kind of occasionally do some Python or whatever the back-end language is. But nice. but it's important to have that broad range of skills, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that always stuck with me when, when you know, I was uh, coming up in the coding industry. Brian, you were you were kind of instrumental in, in me developing those skills and, and kind of like we did mock interviews, we did, uh, nice. you kind of gave me advice on a lot of different things. And so that kind of leads me to my next question of like, if you were 
if you were going to kind of mentor someone, what, what do you like to see in that, in that developer? Like, what are some qualities that you, you want to see in someone who's coming up in, in the industry? Yeah. Um, so I already mentioned kind of the T-shaped uh, skills. Um, I, I feel like a good developer who's getting into it is, is, you know, you have people who go get a computer science degree. Rarely is that necessary anymore. Like that's, that's very much, and, and, and I think some people still feel kind of an imposter syndrome when they're getting into the industry and they don't have that deeply technical educational background. And we, we, the industry's moved beyond that. Um, I think that the most useful developers, the ones that do the best at companies like mine that are small and growing are not just writing code. They're communicating well. They're writing well. They're reading documentation and consuming that documentation and applying it to their jobs. They're understanding the business problems, right? Like they're talking to customers. They're talking to customer support, feeling their pains. And they're just, they like solving problems. There's a reason that even now, um, 10 years at Stratasan, my LinkedIn title still says problem solver because I feel yeah. like that's really what I am. I'm just a problem solver. And code is one of the ways that I solve problems, but ultimately becoming good at identifying problems, figuring out the scope of the problem, and then how do I apply the skill set that I've developed over time to fixing that problem in a way that people will pay me money. That's right. ultimately my job. Yeah. Um, so, but that means an ability to communicate, right? So cultivating those relational and uh, communication talents, I feel like is really important. Yeah. So how, how much do you think, obviously skills matter, right? Mm -hmm. um, but how much do you think it is communication, personality? Obviously, you're working with these people. Sometimes you see them more than your family, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, or in, in, in the way that you hire, is that is that something you look for? How do you like to see people's kind of personalities come out? Yeah, I mean, and having some technical ability to write code is a minimum standard, right? The right. ones that stand out are the good communicators. They're the ones that uh, you'll sit up and take note of their application because they've 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 done a little research on Stratasan. They know a little bit about what we do. They know how they're interested in in maybe healthcare specifically and how they're you know they like they have good questions. You know, one of the things that we look for in interviews is like what kind of questions about the company is the applicant asking. Um, are they asking good questions? It's never a good sign when you go into an interview and you're like, Hey, do you have any questions about stress? And they're like, no, no, I don't, I don't really have any questions. Right. Well, you know, I just don't, that tells me you're not really interested in kind of like what we do as a business. Like, right. it's, yeah. it's nice to be you able to be invested. Right. Exactly. I know that takes a lot of time, especially if you're applying to a lot of different jobs, but it definitely makes you stand out yeah. um, amongst the crowd. Um, as far as a, like a ratio blend, you know, it's kind of 60, 40, you know, you, you at minimum the 60%, you want to have the like technical chops and, and what I'm looking for most of the time when we're hiring is not necessarily experience in a certain technical aspect, specifically Python and Django or whatever our stack is, it's the ability to learn, right? Show me that you can pick up new stuff yeah. because that's, that's what you're doing as a developer is you're constantly learning uh, new things. I know when I'm a back-end developer by experience and I did some uh, training with Wes Boss's React stuff that he did back a few years ago. And like yeah, I nice. got through the whole course and like as I was finishing the last one, he issued a whole new course. <laughs> I was like, I don't have time for this. I <laughs> stick with the SQL side of things and, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I'll the, hire the somebody. The front-end world moves fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, so just to show an ability to like keep up with that. You know, one of the questions I ask in interviews is like, 
um, how do you learn? You know, like what is it that you're doing to keep up with stuff? And it's the, the answer doesn't necessarily matter so much as you have an answer. You know, I do screencasts, I read blogs, I, you know, I, I do side projects for me. Like I can read a book, but I have to like go build something. doesn't matter what, I just have to go build something to really understand the language well and kind of how the yeah. ecosystem works. And so having people talk me through that is super useful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned some of the red flags that you might see, like, for instance, not asking good questions or not asking questions at all. That's obviously a red flag. Do you see any other red flags in interviews that you're like, oh, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if he's if he's up to the task or whatever. Um, hmm, I think on that one for a minute. Red flags when we're conducting interviews. Yeah, I mean, like lack of engagement is never a good sign. Uh, um you know, one of the th questions, so I do skip levels with, um, I have a like team of 20, 25 folks on, on my or arm of the organizations that spans the gamut from developers to data people to product managers. And I do skip levels with them every quarter. One of the questions that I ask them is like, what is it, what do you feel like it takes to be successful at Stratasan? And one of the answers that I constantly get is initiative. Like at a company that's our size, we're about 70 people you you're big enough that you have pretty good technical problems to chew on, but small enough that sometimes you're the like subject matter expert. You might be a mid-level developer and you're kind of the uh, subject matter expert on the specific thing that you're working on. And there's not another person to go ask questions. So your ability to go like figure it out and not just be like, well, I'm stuck and, and yeah. just like, Oh, well, you know, I guess I quit today because I got stuck, <laughs> you know, like when you hit that wall, being able to like punch through it, ask questions on, you know, the local Slack community or leverage a library's Slack community or, or even, you know, it used to be IRC back in my day, um, network and ask those questions. The ability to kind of punch through that wall is, is really important. And so when we're in interviews, and we talk about like, what did you, what are the things that you got stuck on and how did you solve it? Like being able to answer that question coherently and show that you can kind of work through things um, is, is really nice. The other stuff is a lot of like the, the kind of red flags that I would see are more around like communication skills, right? Just that, that to me is a bigger red flag because it's harder to teach that. Yeah. yeah. At least for me. Like it's easy to to make up for like technical deficits if if somebody's coming from JavaScript and they don't know how to write Python and I need to have a, hire a Python developer that's something I can teach a JavaScript person right like you can pick up the Python ecosystem but communication skills are a lot harder to teach um, you can get there it just takes a lot longer um, so so if there's a flag it's usually around that like if you yeah. got egregious typos in your cover letter that's just not a good look <laughs> it tells me you didn't take the time to like you know get somebody else to look at it and make sure that you spell things right or use your spell check or you know it just um it, it feels sloppy and then it indicates like well is there is the rest of their work gonna look that way you know yeah um right. so those are huge red flags for sure yeah yeah i think uh there's Communication is is obviously huge, and and personality I think is 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 part of that. You know, it's these people that you're working with every day. So I think you know you, you got to be personable, you got to be likable. I think, and and if you're not, I guess just work on that maybe. But yeah, um, yeah, um, 
you mentioned cover letters. I'm curious. Do you do you like to see cover letters typically? Yeah, I do. Um, because we get such a flood of of applications, and and disclaimer, I'm not always the person who's like screening those anymore. Um, but back when I did, there was just so many, you get so many and so many of them, it just felt like they were machine gunned out. You know, like I, I remember we had a posting for an operations engineer and it was like, you need to know AWS, you need to know, you know, Terraform. There were like keywords for things that we were looking for. And we got applicants from people doing forklift operations. It's like, that's not the same operations. You know, it was obviously people just like blasting out resumes to a certain keyword. And you get so many of those that a cover letter definitely helps you like, oh, okay. They at least took the time to like understand the job and yeah. a little bit about Stratasan. And um, so, so yeah, I definitely like to see those cover letters. Yeah, that was that was always a, a struggle for me when I was. It, yeah, I was like, oh man, I gotta. I'm applying to like a thousand jobs, and I gotta write a cover right. letter for each one of them. It was like, man, I wish they didn't have it. But yeah, that's a good point. I think it really it says something about you and, and that you're actually interested in the company. And and I think more than not, it probably matters. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those quantity versus quality things, right? Like you could, if you could apply to a thousand jobs, but you're, you're, you're not writing cover letters, you probably won't get as much notice as if you were applying to 25 of those and you were very careful about which ones you applied to. You know, that's something that I encourage new entrants to the field to do is like, yes, that first job is really hard to get and you're going to feel like it's quantity matters more. Um, but, but do take a little bit of time to understand what you're applying to because you might not like the job. Like right. uh, understanding a little bit about that culture of the company. What does their glass door look like? What is, um, you know, uh, uh, they might just ch have serious problems with turnover. And um, that's, yeah, it's a, it's a way to get into the field if you go there. But it's not, it's not always learning like good habits and it might not, it might just be a miserable place to work. So yeah, at least read up a little. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and kind of going back to something you said earlier about the questions that you might ask. I mean, do you do you like to, to hear some questions in particular? Uh, like what what kind of questions do you think that someone should ask in an interview? Yeah, um, I would ask specifically about the software development lifecycle. Um, you know, when you're coming into a company, do they use version control at a bare minimum? You know, mm -hmm. are they are they doing uh, some kind of a, uh, how do they manage their work? Are they using Jira? Are they using GitHub? Are, you know, some other tool to manage work? How do they work well as a team? Ask about their turnover, you know, like uh, what's your average tenure for your team? That's kind of indicative of team health sometimes. Um, what's your plan uh, I love hearing what's your strategic plan for Stratasan over the next four or five years? Like what's your ultimate goal? Um, that's a great question to ask any company because it shows that you're interested in it for the long haul and you're, you're actually thinking about the business side of things. Um, how do you do product management? You know, like as, as developers, we're not just slinging code, we're solving problems and product management is a pretty big component of that. Um, and are, it, do they have a healthy relationship with the dev team or do they just, ask impossible things all the time, you know, like how does that work yeah. out? Um, so asking a lot about how the company works, you know, how are your teams structured? Um, what would I expect to do the first 90 days? Uh, yeah. You know, those, those kinds of, uh, what's your onboarding like, you know, with a lot of companies now um, hiring remote and Stratasan is one of those we've moved to fully distributed. Uh, onboarding can be a little tricky, especially if you're 
um, brand new entry to the field, it's really important for you to have a support system of some kind where right. you don't just like, well, here's your Git uh, URL, check it out and get to work. You know, it's like you're going to need some mentorship, some pair programming to like get your feet um, in the into the code. And uh, are they really supporting that as an organization? Those kinds of things are really important to know. Yeah, that's, that's a good segue. That's a good segue into the next question about like, do y'all hire intra-level developers? Yeah, um, so we don't have a great uh, track record on that one. We tend to to pull people who have pulling people who have like one to two years of experience. Um, we we have hired entry-level from a boot camp um, in the past, and I think we have a person starting actually in two weeks. That's that's fresh from uh, Nashville Software School's data data program. Okay. Um, NSS, you know, I know you have a, list, a lot of NIS listeners that are not in Nashville, but NSS has really done a great job as far as like, uh, I would say half of our alumni, okay. uh, half of our employees are, are NSS alumni. They've nice. done a great job of like getting uh, people going. I'm really a big fan of their model because they're not just teaching code. They're teaching the whole like software development lifecycle of like, you right. know, Scrum and, how, you know, Git and all the like just stuff that you need to know to get started. So um, uh, big fan of the kind of the boot camp model in general, just getting people started. And what's great is, you know, these mid career folks, uh, are, are, are awesome because they already know how to be professionals. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've, we've hired a few people straight out of college and it's like, you never really worked in an office before. It kind of shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's really good. Um, cool. you, I just wanted to ask one more quick question kind of on that topic. Uh, so for someone who didn't go to a bootcamp, who is self-taught, mm-hmm. uh, I know a few people right now who are kind of going that route. They, they want to be self-taught without a bootcamp or college. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you think those people can stand out in, in a way that maybe a bootcamp person wouldn't or, uh, vice versa? Yeah. I mean, um, uh, self-taught shows a ton of initiative, right. And I'm biased here cause I was self-taught, right. Um, there weren't boot camps when I was learning to code. Uh, that I'm aware of. They were like, I actually did a mail order course on C. That's kind of how I got started programming. Um, So demonstrating that level of initiative of like, I can go figure it out by myself and figure out what resources and curriculum I need to get going is huge. Um, We've actually hired a couple of self-taught folks in the past. One was a a musician. He was a guitarist and and he talked about how uh, music and kind of writing music, uh, how that applied to software development in a creative way. Like uh, software development is a very creative endeavor and he felt like there was an, uh, a connection there and, and he's a great member of the team. Um, but yeah, like demonstrating that level of initiative is, is really like a good way to start. Like, look, here's what I did. Here's the things that I've done. Here's the courses that I've taken. And here's a project that I've built. I feel like that's pretty nice to have something that you can show like I built from front to back and deployed this thing and you can go check it out. You know, I think, um, nice. uh, boot camps often have a capstone product, uh, project, uh, for that reason. They know it's nice for employers to see, like, I did a thing. Here's the thing I did. Um, I solved somebody's problem, even if it was my own problem that, I, that I had, like I wanted to fix. Um, so having something that you can show on, on GitHub or something would be nice. Yeah. That's great advice. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think that wraps up the questions. Thank you for coming on, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the conversation. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of good, good nuggets in here. Yeah.
We had a couple questions from our listeners. If you wanted to answer those before you sure. jet it out. Um, one of them was what automation tools do you guys use to help you roll out your software faster? Yeah, I am a big fan of the book Accelerate. Um, it's kind of a DevOps centric book. It's a ton of research. You know, I came from the business side. There are so many garbage business books out there that are purely anecdotal. Like this worked for my company and everyone cargo cults it and tries to emulate it, but there's not a lot of research backing it. Accelerate's different. It's a ton of research and uh, basically connecting what companies can do to be more successful, even just market-wise. We're talking about just making money, right? And so that appeals to the business side, obviously. Um, but they they pin down three or four metrics that that really kind of help. And one of those is automating deployments. And mm. um, uh, so we consider that a really important thing for us to be able to do. We use GitHub Actions uh, as Stratasand for that. So whenever you push to master, uh, if you merge a PR, it automatically does all of the things that get it shipped into production. Um, and we do that multiple times a day, um, mm. even with our somewhat small team of developers. Um, so, so that's kind of what we're using. We, in the past, have used things like Jenkins, but GitHub Actions had some downtime recently uh but in general they're a pretty stable product and uh it's a nice way to kind of like get the code into production as quickly as possible and we actually record the metric from the commit to master to when it's deployed in production and that is a weekly thing that we monitor as hmm. we want to continually improve that and i think we've got it down it's under 10 minutes so nice. from the time you commit to master for it to be deployed in production. So one of the things that we do have to do to make that work is feature flags, though, because product management at any company loves to be able to know, like, when is that new thing going to drop? Mm -hmm. And so we do have to do a little bit of extra work for some things where they want to be able to control, you know, roll out, you know, or they want to roll it out to specific beta group, beta group of users, or they want to control a day to get switched on. We'll put things behind a feature flag that they can go into a database and go, yep, turn this on and or turn it on at a certain date and they can control that. So that allows the that decouples the code going to production from features actually being turned on, which is a nice way to kind of can, uh, make everybody happy. Nice. I haven't I haven't actually used GitHub actions. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's a lot. If you know Docker, it's it's a lot of yeah. Docker type stuff. Yeah. Uh, OK, cool. Cool, cool. Um, and then one last one. Was there any tools you wish you had that would help with that automation? Something that didn't exist, but you wish did? Oh, gosh. So I, I, where I am in my career right now, I don't touch that code as much. I don't know if I feel, I feel fully qualified to answer okay. that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, like one of our struggles with GitHub Actions has been that it's not always 100% stable. Um, oh. So we're thinking about pulling that back into in-house, basically doing it on a, a hosted environment where we can mm -hmm. kind of have a little more control into it. Um, but I mean, we can't complain about how it does it. Uh, I haven't had any complaints about that. I think we've been using it now for about a year and I'd say generally it's been a pretty good experience. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again for coming and thanks again for our listeners uh, listening to Deaf Theory Podcast. I'm Sean Willis with our co-host, Isaac Weber. If you like this show, please click the follow button, leave us a review and share it with your friends. You could also go to devtheorypodcast.com and record a voice message. Who knows, you may even be 
on our live episode next time. If you'd like to be a part of our live recordings and chat with us on Slack, just go to burrow.dev in your browser and you can fill out a form in those e um, events that are posted there. Also, if you're a tech company interested in sponsoring us in this podcast, you can email us at sponsorship at dev3podcast.com. Thanks again.